kind of a, a peer kind of a language. Um, but that's set in the bigger context of Jesus being the king of glory. And that's what makes it all the more amazing that we can be, be friends of Jesus when we realize, wow, he's also the king of glory. Well, today we're continuing our series in, in the essentials as we start off the new year. Um, but first, a story. Sometimes in our house we, we say, sometimes jokingly, sometimes seriously, uh, what a great time to be alive. <laughs> you know, the, the technological things. But it really is incredible that uh, I could just pick up my phone and instant message my daughter who lives in England over 5,000 miles away. It's incredible. No, no other time in history can we do that. Um, it's, it's really, technology has changed the way that uh, we can communicate with our missionaries. Um, in far-off fields, uh, we can, uh, even by satellite phone, different things, we can have contact, where before it would be, you know, a, a ship ride in order to get uh, a message. It's really incredible, uh, the connectedness of our world through technology. Our world is smaller and smaller and smaller in that sense. <clears throat> but the more the world is connected, the more we are aware that there is an epidemic of loneliness and isolation among people. How, how could these things go hand in hand where we can uh, just easily you know, communicate in, in mass and communicate from distance and communicate why we are, while we are driving or running or whatever, and still there's this sense of isolation that is epidemic in our culture. Uh, we can post little details about our lives, you know, what we had for breakfast or, or whatever, but still wonder, does anybody really know me? We can tweet about our troubles, but still wonder, does anybody really care? We can join countless affinity groups and clubs, there's a ton of clubs here in town, but still wonder, do I really belong? Well, it doesn't have to be that way when you are a child of God. God designed us for community, and he made true community possible. Last week, we talked about the most important relationship, and that is our relationship with God and how we can we can thrive in that realm. Even if nobody around us is, is pursuing God, we can be right in our souls and close with the creator of the universe as we pursue him, as we abide in him. And when we thrive in our relationship with God, it makes it possible for us to have experienced true community among his followers. In fact, that's our, our big idea today, if you're following along the notes, is that a thriving relationship with God is revealed by the way we share our lives with each other. As we draw close to Christ, we, we abide in Him, we remain in Him, we dwell in His presence, then, then we naturally draw near to Christ's family. First uh, John 1.3 says, That which we have seen and heard... You know, this is the good news about Jesus. We proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Because of this relationship with Christ, we can have this close fellowship with each other. Now, fellowship's a word we don't 
just used a lot outside the church. It's kind of a kind of a unique little word. And usually in the, when we see that word in the Bible, it's translated from the Greek word uh, koinonia, which sometimes we talk about here, but I know it's a very foreign word. Um, and it has this sense of, of, a, of a sharing in common. It's a close relationship characterized by sharing in common. We see this, uh, this fellowship, this koinonia, this sharing in, in Christ's uh, family in the church from early on. And we see it in the metaphors uh, in the New Testament that describe the church. Think about some of the metaphors for the church in the New Testament. Um, it's a family. <laughs> We're called a family. Think about the closeness, interconnectedness of a family. Uh, di- different roles, different in our family, different chores. In fact, as our kids are moving out, I, I looked at our sink full of dishes and I thought, man, I miss them already. There's our, <laughs> our, our dishwasher to move to San Diego. But one family, different, different you know, tasks. Um, the metaphor of the body. <laughs> it's one body, but it's all interdependent and interconnected together in a community. Uh, the illustration of a temple, uh, it's all different, you know, stones that build up one sacred structure together. All, all these just, just uh, scream to us uh, this uh, interconnectedness, this community that is often elusive. Because th- there's barriers to koinonia. There's barriers to true Christian community. That was true then in the New Testament and then we have some that are, I think, unique to us in our particular culture as well. But in, in common with uh, people of all time, uh, a big barrier to Christian community is human nature. We're naturally you know, self-seeking. We think about our own interests and not, and not others, and that, and, and that divides. That's why in Philippians 2, Paul says, you know, have this attitude that Jesus had who humbled himself. He thought of the interests of others. We, we always need to hear that. Um, and another potential barrier to Christian community is that, uh, that we're all different. We come from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different social classes, different, uh, different family kind of dynamics and all these things. And this we saw in the early church how it was incredible how these completely uh, segmented uh, groups of society were brought together in the church and they had to figure out how, how does this work. That's why in Galatians, Paul says, well, in Christ, in the realm of Christ, in the body of Christ, there, there's not Jews and Greeks and males and females, etc. He, he breaks down those barriers. So these are true of all time that are barriers. But in our particular culture, in the West and maybe in, especially in America, we have this cultural value of autonomy. In fact, I think you can make a case that this is our highest value as a culture is freedom, which means autonomy, which means I can do what I want. Is, and we elevate that, I think, in ways that we don't even as Christians understand how much that's become a part of us in sometimes unhealthy ways. Everything, uh, you know, we learn from Disney movies, we learn from the common stories we tell, etc., is, is all about the individual. That fights, that's a barrier to community. We hyper-focus on this personal, private um, religion. In fact, when people outside the church talk about uh, 
uh, a religion, they say things like, uh, well, religion is a personal matter. You can believe whatever you want as long as you kind of keep it to yourself. Inside the church, we use terms like um, accept Jesus as your personal savior. Uh, I grew up hearing that phrase, but I can't find that in the Bible. In fact, we usually, our pew Bibles here are, uh, are ESV, and the word personal doesn't even appear in the whole Bible. The word individual uh, doesn't appear in the whole Bible. The word individually appears three times, and it's in uh, two passages, uh, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Do you know what those passages are about? They're both about the church being a body, and it says something like this, individually you are members of one another. That's the only time the word is used, but it's the exact opposite of how we tend to talk about it. I'm saying all these things just to kind of uh, make us pause and think like, huh, maybe I have uh, been culturally skewed a little bit, and that is a further barrier to really experiencing the kind of community that, that we're offered and we're enabled to have in Jesus. Francis Schaeffer, who, what a fascinating guy. Um, he's, he's writing like 40 years ago, saying things that the church just now is starting to engage with. Um, but in the church at the end of the 20th century, even the cover just screams 1979. But um, uh, he said this, in, in, uh, in a culture that's increasingly unchristian, he says, our churches must be real communities. With an orthodoxy of doctrine, there must be an orthodoxy of community. We may preach orthodoxy, we may even stand against the practice of untruth strongly, but if others cannot see something beautiful in our human relationships, then we are not living properly. <laughs> really kind of an interesting statement. Jesus, Jesus enables us and he instructs us on how to have true Christian community that I think we really long for. And in one place he talks about this is in uh, the book of John, chapter 15, and we'll actually just continue on from where we were last week. <clears throat> the setting is uh, the upper room. He's with his close followers. They share a meal together. There's an intimate time of prayer. There's some words of instruction. It's all kind of the setting for this, these words. And uh, this morning we're going to look at at three habits that I think really help foster koinonia. They help uh, foster, they help us experience and live out and grow in true Christian community. So John 15, uh, verses 12 to 17. If you're following along in one of those pew Bibles, this is on page 902. But before we go any further, I think I need to make an important important, uh, distinction between Enabled versus experienced. And let me explain. Last week we talked about thriving, where you can have this close relationship uh, with God. You could experience that. We are enabled to thrive in our relationship with God only when we're born of the Spirit. You know, we've been made a new creation by Christ through, through faith in Him. That makes it possible for us to have the close relationship. But we experience thriving in that relationship when we foster abiding through, we talked about key habits of prayer and and God's word and and worship. 
So a person who is not actually a child of God can, can try to pray, they could try to spend time in the Bible, they could try to think big thoughts about God, etc., and, and they might feel some sort of connection, but, but they don't really have a relationship with God, and so they will not really thrive. So, so similarly, we are enabled to share in this true commission Christian community when we're placed into God's family. That's what makes it possible. But our focus today is on how we actually experience it, <laughs> how we actually foster it through these habits. So first of all, how do we develop or grow in or experience this true Christian community? And first of all, we share in life together. Sharing is relational. I know that's a very vague statement, so I'll explain. This section starts out, verse 12, like this. This is my commandment. This is Jesus speaking. That you love one another as I have loved you. This is his primary command. God enables us and intends us to be knit together in love with other followers of Jesus. This is his design, and this is what he does for us. Love is the primary command and is the primary mark of those who truly follow Jesus. This is how others should be able to identify you as a Jesus follower, is by the way you love each other. That's what Jesus says. But this interesting comment, he says, Love one another as I have loved you. My mind immediately goes to the cross. Because we're told elsewhere in the New Testament, this is, this is how he loved you. <laughs> he gave his life for you. Uh, Jesus made this statement the night before the cross. And he says, love as I have loved you. So was Jesus already uh, showing what it looks like to love before the cross? I think so. I think he was doing it right then. I think this whole scene is an image, a picture, and a modeling of Jesus of what it looks like to have a community of love. In the upper room experience, if, or the upper room um, scenario or whatever we want to call it, uh, in chapters 13 to 17, we see that uh, they met together with this close group together a small enough group that they could have deep conversations, a group where Jesus is pouring out his most personal um, his comments. <laughs> He's praying together. He's praying over uh, his followers. They're sharing a meal together. They're eating. Um, he spoke truth into their lives, and he washes their feet. He, he touches them. He humbles himself. He cares for them. All this is happening in that upper room. And then Jesus says, uh, love like I have loved you. There's a whole bunch of material just in that one little scenario of showing what it looks like to love in community. Again, not a, Jesus didn't uh, invite them to a seminar or a workshop. He invited them into a shared life. And, and he loved them. He showed them what it looks like to love. And the early church uh, caught onto this and ran with it. And we'll return um, often to this passage in the beginning of Acts in chapter 2, uh, verses 42 and 46. Describe this. And it says, And they, this is the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
and to fellowship, the koinonia, this community shared life, and to the breaking of bread and to prayers, and verse 46, and day by day they attended the temple together, and they broke bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And so we see this picture of just lives being intertwined and shared together where they're, they're loving each other, they're taking care of each other, they're spending time with each other, they're, they're sharing in life. They're sharing relationally. <clears throat> that kind of community uh, is not natural. <laughs> it takes uh, time often. It takes uh, intentionality. Um, we were talking about that this morning in our 9 o'clock groups, which did I mention that we're starting 9 o'clock groups and you're invited? So a little side note there. Um, I'd been obviously on staff here years ago, and then uh, in, when I was in seminary living in Escondido, we started attending a large church, like a few thousand people, and uh, we started attending a Sunday school class that's almost the size of, of this church. It's kind of, uh, the scale is just different, and it's hard to, uh, to feel like real community. It's easy to just kind of slip in and slip out and not really be connected. It seems like other people had this same experience. In fact, um, even though we were involved in this, uh, this class and people kind of in our same life stage and, and doing some other things, we didn't really feel connected. And then for, of all things, a seminary class assignment um, related to uh, leading or being part of a small group, uh, I reached out to this friend and said, hey, you want to be part of a small group? It's for a little experiment. He's like, well, actually, we're already in a small group. You want to join ours? It's like, yeah, okay. Well, uh, I started attending that, and that became, uh, we became a band of brothers. And uh, we'd meet every, every week early at first Starbucks, and then we changed to Panera. But anyway, um, we, we'd meet, and we'd, <clears throat> we'd pray for each other and uh, talk about God's Word together. Um, when one of us going through a crisis of, uh, with kids or with marriage or with health, um, the others rallied around. Our families got intertwined with each other. Um, when someone would have this, uh, this dilemma, somebody had this dilemma about their job and what was the ethical way to handle a situation, we just kind of spoke wisdom into each other's lives together. Um, when somebody has to move, we helped each other move. Uh, I feel like that's when you really know if you have a friend or not. It's when you have to, to move. <laughs> Say, hey, look at the time. <laughs> And it became that kind of thing. Uh, when I moved up here, some of you know, uh, several months ago, one of them has a plane, which I know is quite unique, and they just uh, flew up here. Here's, here's some of them. <clears throat> the one uh, in front in the blue, uh, that smile uh, is a way to mask the terror of uh, riding this little plane. It was apparently kind of bumpy. Um, but that became a true uh, community. But it, it took time. It took uh, commitment. It took vulnerability but we shared life together. So what will you do to share your life with other followers of Jesus? You could sit in a pew next to somebody for, for years and never experience that. Um, there's a variety of ways that could take place. We intentionally have small groups to try to, uh, to have a, um, an environment that helps uh, foster that, but even there it's not automatic. I think part of it is just when you hear a need, you uh, do something about it. (laughs) 
when you have a need, you humble yourself to ask for help. You take courage and initiative to open up your personal space, to open up your home. You take courage to open up your heart. <laughs> it, it takes some risks to be part of a community, but the rewards are really great. So to experience true Christian community, the first thing is we just have to share our lives. <laughs> we share relationally with each other, and it really starts there. But the second habit that's both evidence of koinonia and it fosters koinonia is when we share in giving. Sharing is sacrificial. The, the next verse 13 says, this is Jesus again speaking, he says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And in this case, he's about to show them that. <laughs> he's about to, you know, demonstrate in front of the whole world that level of love. Because sacrifice, it strengthens the bond and it's evidence of the bond of love. So it's the, um, it's the visible manifestation, it's the evidence that shows that the bond is there and it also further strengthens the bond. Jesus was already showing love by this close friendship, the prayers, the meals together, the serving, but he was about to give his life. <laughs> sacrifice. When you turn back to uh, Acts 2 again, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it for you. Verses 44 and 45, tucked right between those ones we read before. It says, And all who believed they were together, and they had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had needs. So the early church was just characterized by giving, not getting. This kind of is uh, really counter to a, a Christian culture that we've kind of uh, slid into in our, in our nation where we kind of shop around for a church uh, for what we can get out of it. Uh, okay, do they have, you know, the music I like? Do they have, you know, do they have good parking? Do they have a program for, you know, for kids or for veterans or for, for singles or for seniors or whatever it might be? Do is everything just kind of, you know, does it work for me there? Can I get what I want? The early church was, was flip-flop. They said, how, how can I give? <laughs> how can I sacrifice for this? When uh, <clears throat> Jesus shares this, uh, this simple truth in Matthew six twenty one, and that's where you invest, that's where your affections lie. Where he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Which is, again, I think, uh, a cyclical thing. Uh, where your treasure is reveals where your heart is, but also when you put your treasure somewhere, your heart, uh, part of your heart goes there. <laughs> and so, again, it reveals and, and it fosters that. When you sacrifice, it demonstrates community and it develops community. When you invest in community, it develops community. I am completely blown away by the generous giving of First Baptist Church. People share their stuff when people have needs. And, you know, I hear of people loaning out vehicles and opening up spare rooms to a visiting missionary and 
and on and on and on. People uh, sacrificially give uh, money to the ministry here. It's just, it's incredible. Um, it's interesting that the same word, koinonia, that's used for fellowship is also used in the New Testament to describe a monetary gift to a ministry. It's like, hey, did you get our koinonia? Yeah, you know, it came in the mail or whatever. Um, it's the same word. The common idea is sharing. It's this mutual investment. Uh, we actually very rarely talk about giving money here at First Baptist Church, so I just want to make a few brief comments and move on. And first comment is just thank you. <laughs> thank you for, for giving. It's making a difference both here and, and around the world in our support of missionaries. Uh, secondly, I think it's important for us to know that giving is an act of worship, which we emphasize a lot, and it's very, very true. And it's also an act of koinonia. It's an act of uh, community. Which leads me to this kind of side comment is uh, if this is, if you're not part of this church family, maybe you just happen to be visiting and, and, and passing through, uh, we're, we're not intending for you to, to give. <laughs> I mean, if, you, if God prompts you as an act of worship just to express your worship to him in that way, you know, we're not going to, you know, reject it. But, uh, but it's certainly, we're not, we're not asking for that. We're not expecting that. This is a community thing. This is a family thing. It's a koinonia thing. Um, thir- third comment is just, if you're part of this church family, but you don't really have a habit of giving, you're, you're missing out. You're missing out. We're missing out. And it's a, it's a barrier to fostering true community. Uh, FYI, just again, because we don't really talk about this very much, uh, if you've been coming a while and you realize that uh, about halfway through the service, we pass plates around, that's, that's when we put our offerings in. And then you can also, if that's inconvenient, do it online, which uh, our family does, just because I'm usually distracted on Sunday mornings getting ready to preach. So uh, you could look in your bulletin for information on that. That's just some practical comments. And all that's just to say is that if we want to experience true Christian community, we share in giving. Sharing is sacrificial. So third final habit that both uh, is evidence of koinonia and it fosters koinonia, is when we share in serving. Because sharing is productive. And I realized uh, just now that you probably can't even read those last words there, can you? It's like really dark. So that's why I'm telling you it says productive right behind there. Verses 14, and we'll read to about 16. Um, Jesus says, you are my friends, which is incredible. God of the universe, calling his followers uh, friends, says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name he may give it to you. Jesus calls his followers friends, and then he commissions them, he appoints them to go, to do, to bear fruit, (laughs) to be spiritually productive, 
not just sit around in that room uh, perpetually, but to go and, and live it out. Again, the illustrations, the metaphors of, uh, of the church, the body. In the body, each member plays a part. In a family, each member serves a role or has a, has a function, contributes. Um, are you playing a part here? If you belong to us, are you, are you serving a role? If not, uh, we're all missing out. Some of, uh, just thinking about, we were sharing about this in our 9 o'clock hour too. By the way, small groups start right now. You can sign up in the foyer. We were sharing at the 9 o'clock group around our tables about times where we really uh, felt this connectedness in, um, in community. And uh, there's a variety of things that, that foster that. But what I was thinking of is times that I've, I've served alongside other people. Um, I, some, uh, what comes to mind is some mission trips, even jumping in with people I have never uh, even met before, and then we're serving alongside each other. Uh, and in a week, there's this bond there that's hard to explain. I remember early on uh, here as a youth pastor, taking uh, trips down to Mexico, and then coming back after serving together for a week and talking to some of um, the students and leaders who were involved. And coming back, there was almost this depression of uh, uh, on, on the wake of all that, uh, that closeness. It's like, now I'm back here, and it's kind of isolated, and I don't have that purpose anymore. Because, because it was so intense, the community, when we're serving side by side together. And I think we experience that here when we, we minister you know, shoulder to shoulder, and we, we serve on, uh, on committees or on teams together, and we, we invest, and lo and behold, we find that God is knitting us together. I've mentioned to a few of you recently that I discovered that on Sunday mornings, we have about 30 unique roles just to, uh, just to do Sunday morning. There's, um, there's the sound booth back there, DJ, little props there, and the, the computer leading worship, the worship teams, uh, the ushers, the welcome table, the greeters, uh, the offering uh, counters, uh, finance crew, the security, uh, uh, children's church teachers, uh, children's church aid, uh, nursery, uh, small group leaders, um, preacher. Um, what else am I forgetting? Have I mentioned 30 yet? It's a bunch. Oh, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Coffee, coffee fellowship. And then when it's the first Sunday of the month, we have a, it's more like 40 because we also have the setting up for communion, the distributing communion, and I think we are in need of some hosts for the fellowship meals once a month as well. So we're just a, a couple short of how many we need for Sunday. All I'm saying is that uh, if you, if you uh, look at this size room and all the roles I just uh, mentioned, you'll realize that probably um, some people are doubling up and if you're one of the three people that's not doing something on Sunday morning, then uh, we can help you out and, and find a place for you. So seriously, maybe you've been attending uh, First Pastor Church for a while and, you, and you, you still don't know if you really belong or you still don't feel like you really belong. You still wonder, does anybody really know me? <laughs> does anybody really care? And I suggest that there's something uh, 
you can do about that. Oh, I skipped over this great picture. This is from our Mexico mission trip that somebody took and just how it says team and all that, and the team signed it. I treasure that. But on to, back to this. So what can we do about it if we are feeling disconnected? Well, start sharing your lives. Find, find a group to connect in. Open up your home, your space, your heart. Share in giving, share in serving, start, to start doing something here. I hope this is all, not all coming across as too much of a direct hard sell. I'm just telling you, these are high values of our church, and, and these are the things that foster the community that we long for. So kind of in conclusion, I just want to bring us back to this thought that there's this distinction between enabling for community and experiencing community. Again, true koinonia, true Christian community is only possible among those who actually belong to Christ. This is not a message on how we could just kind of be a happy, friendly place and have uh, closer friendships and watch each other's backs a little more. It's, it's something supernatural that God enables. In 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 13, in this passage talking about the body working together, it says, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. We were, by the Spirit of God, submerged, placed into the body of Christ, if we're a child of faith. So you can only experience true Christian community when you actually belong to, um, to Christ through faith. All those other things kind of might foster a little bit of kind of a feeling of warm fuzzies or something, but that's not koinonia. <laughs> it's, uh, it's warm fuzzies. But when you're a child of God, you can have true Christian community. And that's something supernatural. John 1.12, a really wonderful verse. Let's talk about how Jesus came, but you know most people didn't really receive him or even recognize who he was. It says, but who all who did receive him, to everyone who believed in his name, he gave them the right or, or the authority, the power to become the children of God. If you believed in Jesus, then you are a child of God. And when you're part of God's family, you can live out true community. And here's how the section closes in our passage in, in John. Verse 17 says, Again, <laughs> these things I command you so that you will love one another. The cap on both ends. Like, come on, I've loved you. Love one another. Our, our challenge is, is simple. It might sound silly, but, it, but it, I try to convince you it's quite profound. And that is simply share the love. <laughs> we've, been, we've been shown the most incredible love in the universe, how the king of heaven came and gave his life for us. And he says, how I've loved you, now, now love each other. Love each other. This mutual, shared relationship of koinonia. And um, I feel like before I completely end, I just want to comment that this church does this well. There is a beautiful uh, representation 
of true Christian community that flows through this place. And uh, that's what initially attracted us uh, to come here uh, over 20 years ago, and it's um, a big reason we came back because of the reality of, of the true Christian fellowship here. It's a beautiful thing. But uh, I just urge you, we can excel still more. There's still, there's still people who, who are just wondering, do, do I belong, and uh, who've not fully engaged. And it's our invitation to, to jump in with, with both feet into the, the family life here. So as, as Kevin comes back up, let's, let's pray together.